Welcome to episode 97 of the Actual Astronomy Podcast. This is the Objects to Observe in the March 2021 Night Sky episode. I'm Chris and joining me is Shane. We are amateur astronomers who love looking up at the nighttime sky. And this podcast is for anyone else who likes going out under the stars. How are you this morning, Shane? I'm pretty good. How about yourself? Yeah, I'm doing well. This is our 11th monthly episode of Objects to Observe in the Night Sky. And I see we're uh, just at about 25,000 downloads. Oh, wow. For our, for our podcast. So I was pretty excited to see that. Yeah, that's cool. It's, uh, it continues to climb. Mm. Yeah, it's exciting. We'll be at 100 episodes here in, a, in March. And yeah, it's exciting to see those uh, downloads carry on. It's uh, really amazing to get uh, different and varied emails from people. Uh, it's great. Like, like we had a book review from Simon in the last episode and uh, different people sent us observations and uh, questions about, about gear. We had a, had a good question about, uh, what was it about uh, observing uh, through different, different size telescopes and field of view? Uh, oh, recently. barrel sizes. Yeah, from, from Larry. So I thought that was interesting. Good question too about what, what's the advantage of having a two inch barrel size versus a one and a quarter? I thought that was a good question. Yeah. 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 And really the, the answer there is the, uh, uh, the, uh, field stop measurement, um, yeah. two, two inch just gives you a wider field of view or the potential for a wider field of view. Yeah. Um, uh, like, a the 41 millimeter panoptic, um, and probably the 40, 40 millimeter Pentex, uh, XW, I think those are probably the widest field of views you can get yeah. in a, in a two inch eyepiece. Yeah. Plus um, the uh, thir 32 millimeter Masuyama also has the, the widest field, but it's, mm. it, it's the one that you need the longest focal length scope to uh, probably get the best edge correction out of. Oh yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, it is nice to have the engagement and uh, yeah, we'll keep trucking. Yeah. So speaking of field, field to view, maybe we can just go over uh, how, you know, when we, we talk about the objects to observe in the nighttime sky, we often talk about how far away different things are. And typically the unit of measurement on the nighttime sky we're using is the measurement of a degree. But what's a one, what's, what's a more down to earth way to, to look at that, Shane? How, how big is your fist held at, at arm's length against the nighttime sky? 10 degrees. Yeah. So it's just kind of a common thing, the way humans are built that, you know, if you have a, a shorter arm, you probably have a smaller fist. So it all, all sort of works out to about 10 degrees. Yeah. So if you hold out your fist at arm's length onto the sky, that'll give you about 10 degrees. And so if you go right from the horizon overhead, that would be 90 degrees up or about nine fist lengths. If you go out from the bowl of the Big Dipper to Polaris, that's about 28 and a half degrees or something like that, I think. So that'll be about three fist lengths. Um, so we just say that because uh, when we're talking about things, talk about degrees. Now, when you get smaller than that, you can kind of use like your pinky finger to subtend. But uh, for these sort of general objects to observe in the nighttime sky, mostly planets, the moon, etc., we use the moon. The moon in the nighttime sky is about half a degree. Yeah, yeah, it's a great guide. So what is the best event for March 2021, Shane? What do we think the best event is this month? Uh, well, there is a Jupiter and Mercury conjunction. Um, and I guess there's a supermoon as well, but you know, we don't, 
we don't really count the super moons as visual events. Uh, they always get fanfare in the media, but really, unless you're uh, photographing uh, the super moon and you have some non-super moons to compare it against, it's really hard to detect it. Um, so yeah, the Jupiter-Mercury conjunction is probably it, but I think that's pretty early in the morning. I guess we'll get into those details. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, you're right on the supermoon. You know, it's supermoon is one of those things that uh, it's sort of a recent, um, it's like the, the catchy name is, is what's happening here. But these are uh, pregeal moons is what we used to call them. And they're just moons that are at their, at their closest point. And for most people on the earth, <laughs> they don't matter that much. Why it matters to me is when you live on the ocean, um, it does matter because back when I was a kid, if we had a pregeal moon, that meant that we uh, we couldn't drive our cars into our uh, like where where my uncle lives, <laughs> so because the water would come up over the road. <laughs> so, oh wow! Okay, yeah, you were always always watching for those, and the water would come up over our our dock, and it's still I think it still will, even though we built the dock higher. Um, yeah, because of. Uh, climate change, the water now will come up over the higher dock, unfortunately. Um, so there's that. But uh, the planet roundup, yeah, we got Mercury. Uh, it's still in Capricornus. And it's going to be uh, probably at, at about its best for the Southern Hemispheric observers, uh, shining at 0, 0.0 magnitude in the morning, morning sky for Southern Hemispheric observers, making it the... Uh, probably the best, best opportunity to see Mercury uh, in the morning sky anyway for 2021. Magnitude scale is so funny. You know, 0 0.0 amount of light. <laughs> is it emitting any light? Uh, no, I'm joking. But I, You know, that that is one of the things, you know, there's, I have a list of sort of pitfalls for people trying to get started in astronomy. There's a few of them. Some are that, you know, in in the uh, antiquated and the old uh, star charts, a lot of them are reversed left to right because that's how they built them back, like in even up into the 1700s and that. And a lot of people uh, might be familiar with that in, in one way or another. And that's very confusing. Then there's like the mythological, like allegorical figures, right? And when they try to apply those to the nighttime sky, that's like another barrier. And then the magnitude scale, um, which was, I think, first created by Hipparchus, um, you know, I think in like the second century BC or something like that, um, or second century AD, it was something like that off the top of my head. And he, uh, he, you know, he created it based on, on just like a, like a one to six scale where, you know, the brightest stars would be one and the faintest stars would be six. And he kind of left it at that. Um, but then of course, uh, as time went on and, and they applied measurements to this, it turned out like the brightest stars like Cirrus were actually, uh, magnitude like negative one or something like that, or close to it. And, uh, you know, and then, then people could actually see stars as faint as seven. And then, you know, so they had to create like, well, where would, what would be in between these numbers and, and then, okay, we've got it down. And then of course people started using optics on the nighttime sky. And so then we had to have fainter ones. So you get into these like positive eight, nine, 10, so on and so forth till you get to the ones that the Hubble can see in the positive 25 range or something like that. And then they went, Oh no, no, we didn't put the moon in there, you know? <laughs> so mm -hmm. the moon mm -hmm. is like negative 12 and a half. And then, then the center, oh, well, that would be negative 27 or 28 or something negative 28. Um, so you get all these sort of this, this sort of weird um, scaling uh, of the objects, but yeah, you're, you're totally right. It, 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 that definitely becomes like a, like a barrier. So 
Zero yep. is bright. <laughs> yep. 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 I, I appreciate you ranting on my behalf. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of another bright object, Venus is in con- conjunction with the sun. And that means that you cannot see it until it emerges from, from that glare. So don't even try. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mars, have you observed Mars recently? No, I haven't. But um, I, I put a note in here uh, a little further down uh, uh, that we'll talk about here in a few minutes, probably that I think I'm going to take a look at Mars here coming up. Oh, really? Yes, yes, yes. Um, uh, do you want me to talk about it now? It'll be out yeah, of order sure, for yeah. our day by day. Uh, where the heck did I put it now? You can just kind of briefly. Oh, yeah. uh, March, March 10th. Um, so Mar- Mars is small, right? It's getting further and further from us every day. Yeah. Uh, so on March the 10th, it's about six arc seconds in diameter uh, from our point of view. However, the current tilt of Mars uh, to where we are here in the Northern Hemisphere, probably Southern uh, uh, as well. Um, but anyway, both polar caps on Mars uh, could be visible. So I don't know, you know, you might need quite a large telescope for that. Um, and I'm not sure how large the polar caps are on Mars right now, um, but you can see both potentially. Yeah. Hmm. Very cool. That would be yeah. very cool. So, so anyway, because of that, I, I think I'll, I'll take a look uh, this week. All right. And right now Mars is in Taurus um, and it ends the month at only 5.3 arc minutes. So you should probably get out there sooner than later because it's going to be kind of a, a challenging uh, target for telescopes to really discern much, much than we have any details. Like earlier in the, in the summer, uh, you know, we're, we're around like uh, 19 arc minutes and, I think we even peaked out at like 21 arc minutes or something like that, and maybe even a little more uh, in the autumn around the, the uh, opposition there in the first part of October. So this is uh, only about, what, like a fifth of the size or something. So it's a lot smaller. Yeah, yeah. Is it minutes or seconds? Arc minutes. Arc minutes. Yeah, okay, okay. Yeah, yeah. Arc seconds would be really, really small. Got it. I think. I could, be, I could have done that wrong, but pretty sure it is. Okay. Uh, then, no. then we have Jupiter and Saturn. They're coming up in the morning sky, um, starting to move into darker skies in the morning because uh, as they, uh, as they, you know, uh, the morning sky sort of transitions uh, across and eventually turns into the midnight sky and then, then the evening sky over the course of a couple months or a few months. Um, these, uh, these two bright planets, they're going to be in Capricornus. And I think, like I put some of these notes in, or they're just my interpretation, but depending on where you are in the world, I still think they're a bit low for telescopic observation, Shane. I don't know what your thoughts are on that. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I agree. It's, uh, you know, the it, when it gets buried in the horizon and the atmosphere, it's just not worth it. Yeah, yeah, no, that's true. Uranus uh, is going to remain low in the evening sky. Um and it's, uh, it's in Aries and it's, yeah, it's getting really, really very much into the, uh, the sunset uh, glow of the sky, uh, especially by the end of the month. It just won't be visible at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, Neptune is in conjunction with the sun. So basically it's, it's very close to the sun in the sky. So we're lost in its glare. So starting on March 1st, we'll kind of get into the, uh, the details of uh, when and what to see. Um, Probably one of the one of the best things to see, and this is one of my favorite things to to try to take a look for uh, every spring, is or late winter, early spring, is to get out under dark skies and try to see the zodiacal light, and it should be pretty good for the first two weeks of March, uh, 
And what you see is you see this giant cone of light extending up. And at least to me anyway, it extends up on an angle and it points just south of the Pleiades-ish. So the Pleiades are just kind of on the, on the top side of it. Uh, and it forms this long, narrow sort of uh, triangle or, or very, very narrow pyramid of light. You've seen it, Shane. Oh, yeah. Yeah, many times. Yeah, yeah. It's, a, it's a neat phenomenon. Um, it's kind of a weird thing. Like, I, I bet more people have actually seen it than they're aware of. Um, you yeah. know, if you've seen the Milky Way at this time of the year, chances are you've seen the zodiacal light. Yeah. So what, uh, what is it? I guess, what causes this? We should start there. Yeah, so it's it's dust, uh, solar system dust. Um, that's kind of remnants of the creation of the solar system. Yeah. Um, and that's kind of the extent of it, really. Yeah. Yeah, just sort of leftover building blocks of the solar system and all the pieces of meteors and comets and leftover planetesimals and that sort of thing that are floating around up there. And at this time of year, it's just like our angle is is just right that the, uh, the sun is always reflecting off those, but our angle is, is such that we can actually, uh, we can actually see this from time to time. And this is one of those times we can see it. Um, Mars though, Mars is just three degrees south of the Pleiades. So this Mars should be sitting right at sort of the top of that uh, pyramid. And because Mars is, is in the plane of the solar system, it makes sense. So Mars, Mars will be sort of right at the, uh, right at the peak or, or very, very close to to the peak of that, uh, of that zodiacal light. So what you need to do is you need to go out in the evening and uh, you wait until it's totally dark and you try to get somewhere that, uh, that reduces your, your light pollution in the direction of, uh, of, of the Western sky or the Western horizon. Because if there's too much light pollution there, there's too many cities, or there's a big city, that, that glow from that city will, uh, will impede that. Um, so, you know, choose, choose your site wisely and then, uh, and then try to make your observation. On March 4th, Vesta is at opposition. There's a asteroid or minor planet for you. Yeah, yeah. So um, good opportunity to view Vesta on March the 4th if you've never seen it before. Um, I, you know, I'm trying to think if I've ever seen it through a telescope. I've, uh, yeah, I have, I have. It was many, many years ago. Yeah, I went through a period where like any of the ones that were the brightest ones, I... I was, I, would, I was just short on time, but I was able to, I was going out to the observing site at, at the Halifax RASC center. And I would go out just with my binoculars. And uh, one winter I just tracked down all these uh, asteroids because some of them were getting to naked eye visibility, like up to like six or six and a half magnitude. And I was trying to hunt them down. And I can't recall if I ever really got them with, with my eye alone, but I definitely got them in my binoculars. So that was fun. Yeah. Yeah. They're kind of neat. Um, you're not going to see any surface detail or, or really they just look like a, a point of light. Um, right. but it's still a, a neat observation. Yeah. Yeah. No, exactly. Um, from March 3rd to the 6th though, we have this, uh, this business of, of Jupiter and, uh, and Mercury kind of meeting up. So they're going to be Jupiter and Mercury will be as close as, uh, 0.3 degrees, just a third of a degree apart. Uh, on the fifth, and this happens just right before sunrise. Um, so you do whenever you're observing near the horizon around sunrise, you have to be careful. Honestly, once it starts getting bright-ish, like once you really can't really see much in the way of stars anymore, anyway, um, and that's usually going to happen at least thirty or so minutes before the sun is above the horizon. Like 
just stop observing anyway. Like you're not going to find stuff at that point. So there's no point even observing uh, remotely close to, uh, to sunrise. Um, but uh, like an hour before sunrise, uh, you might, might stand a chance of seeing these. Uh, on the 6th, Mercury will be at greatest elongation west. And so that's going to place it really well uh, in the sky. Now, it's not well placed for northern hemispheric observers, but we, we may see this, like if you have a really good horizon and really good conditions, um, but the southern hemisphere is definitely favored um, just because of sky brightness and, and different things of that, that nature. So just be sure to check your local sunrise and, and such times so that you're not observing too close to the sun. But regardless, once, this, once the sky starts getting bright, um, you know, and you can't really see stars anymore, then it's, it's too bright for you to be observing anyway. Yeah. Yeah. It's just not really worth the risk. Um, maybe if you had a tracking mounted, you know, then you don't really have any risk or lesser risk of, you know, inadvertently catching the sun, but better uh, to just avoid it. Yeah. And, and I do have a tracking mount and I'm set up in such a way that there's like a large, long, low building where the sun rises, at least at this time of year. And, uh, and in the past I have observed after sunrise and I'll tell you, those observations are pretty garbage. <laughs> like the sky, as soon as that sun comes above the horizon, like the sky just gets pretty unstable. In, in my experience uh, on the rare occasion, you might get a good, you might get a good sky, but that would be exceptionally, exceptionally rare. And, uh, so even where I am, where I, where I'm set up such that, uh, there's, there's no risk. Cause I lose about five or seven degrees of, of the horizon rate where the sun would be, but the rest of my sky is pretty open. Um, yeah. And it's, yeah, usually once, once the sun is up, I was observing Mercury there in in November and had some pretty high power on it and it was great. But as soon as the sun came up, it was just, I was just garbage. It wasn't, wasn't worth doing it. Um, yeah. Good, good point about the heating of the atmosphere and, and then yeah. that makes the seeing just turn awful. Yeah, it does. Yeah. Seeing during the day is, is not so good. So uh, let's see on the 9th and 11th of March. So on March 9th and 11th, the moon uh, passes south and just below uh, Saturn, Jupiter and Mercury. Um, but I don't, you know, this is one of those things. And I think there was a bit on it last month. People were talking about it. I, I think I heard it in another podcast and I saw it written about in places. And I'm like, that's, these aren't really visible events. I don't think this is visible. So maybe if people check their local sunrise times and Maybe if you had some sort of special conditions, you'd be able, I don't think you can see this. I think it's all too close to the sun. Yeah. I'm just, uh, yeah. yeah I, I think you're right. Like I, I'm not familiar just looking through some other guides to see if they're talking about it. And, uh, I don't, I saw, I saw it in a I few places last month. It was in, it was even tighter and, oh. and it was definitely written about last month. And I just went, no, like it's not. Yeah. The, the, yeah, these are these are too close to the sun. Hundred percent too close to the sun. So here's another one. So the ninth on Tuesday. This is from a UK guide. Uh, if you have a, a flat east southeast to southeast horizon, Mercury, Jupiter, and Saturn are joined by a seventeen percent lit waning crescent moon from forty minutes before sunrise. Yeah, so, I mean yeah. that's very that's very close. That's very close to the sun because it's going to be right in the plane, right? It's not like, it's not like these are really far off where the sun is rising. Like when I was observing, what's that? I was looking for 
a comet or something when Comet Neowise was around, but it was like, you know, 90 or 100 degrees away from the sun. So, you know, as soon as it starts brightening, you could still see the comet. But, uh, but anyhow, these, these planets are right in the, in the same plane. So, so maybe last month was right out. So I thought, well, this month there might be a possibility, but be very careful. All right. So on the 10th, um, Mars is going to be, oh, wait, it's, I put six arc seconds here. So maybe it is arc seconds. Well, this is my note uh, that oh, I Oh, that's your about, note. Uh, but it is, it is arc seconds. Um, while, while you were reading, I did Okay, no, check, good. And, uh, good. I'm glad, I'm glad you corrected me. I appreciate that. Yeah, yeah. And uh, it got me thinking back to the 21st of the Great Conjunction when they were 11 arc minutes apart. Um, so arc seconds make sense for, for planetary diameter. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, that was my mistake. Yeah. We are amateurs. Um, we are. We just proved it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, oh, and then favorite time of the month on the 13th. Yeah. New moon time. Hopefully yeah. we have good weather. Yeah. No, hopefully. Do you have any plans for, for a new moon? Well, not, not right now, just because it's so far out. Um, but so this coming week here, Chris, like, um, you know, Wednesday, Thursday, like I think Wednesday night, the moon rises 1230 AM. So even this week we can start to get out to, uh, you know, some short drives maybe, um, yeah. for a little bit of a darker sky. Uh, if the weather holds, I'm, I'm game if you're game. Yeah. That sounds, uh, that sounds really good. Yeah. On the 17th though, there, there's a, there's a really neat pairing. So if people are kind of interested on, on when the moon pairs up with, with different planets, um, I think these ones are worth seeing. And that is that on March 17th, I think that's St. Patrick's Day, isn't it? Um, uh, yeah. The moon and Uranus um, will somewhat pair up. The moon will be seven degrees south of Uranus when viewed from the Northern Hemisphere, at least from our location anyway. Um, but from other parts of the planet, I see it gets as close as three degrees. So at, at seven degrees, a really good wide, very wide field pair of binoculars, like my binoculars have about a nine degree field. So I should be able to get Uranus and the moon. Now, what, why I point this out is that otherwise Uranus can be a little bit tedious to track down. It's possible. It's 5.7 magnitude. So it's visible to the unaided eye from really dark locations. Um, but in order to track down from the city with binoculars, you're you got to load up your software and kind of go back and forth and putz around a bit. But on this night, on the 17th of March, uh, they're going to be paired right up. So that, mm -hmm. that would be uh, a really neat thing to, uh, to see in the nighttime sky. And because uh, the moon is only going to be, um, you know, four days old at that point, it's not going to have a lot of light. Whereas earlier in the year, um, the moon was going to be uh, like a half moon or even more when it was pairing up with Uranus. So there was, there was a lot of light spillage. So this is probably the best opportunity to see them together. Cause after this, uh, Uranus is really at the horizon um, and, and won't be, won't be as easily visible as on the 17th. Yeah. Yeah. Good opportunity. Um, yeah. You know, even our, uh, like my little 60 mil, 61 millimeter William optic telescope with a 41 millimeter panoptic probably would fit that i think it's around seven ish degrees uh field of view okay yeah there might you have go. to give that a might have to give that a try yeah give give that a try for sure yeah and i'll i might try it with my uh like my uh takahashi uh, 60 millimeter f6 mm -hmm. i get it i think i get like around an eight degree field of view so uh that should be possible uh as well on the 19th though we get this this opportunity is a, is a little bit better 
um, we get the moon and Mars pairing up. So the moon will be uh, getting as close as they say 1.9 degrees. Um, so about two degrees away. So that is very close. That's definitely in telescope uh, range. So even for my uh, four or five inch telescopes, I can, I'm, I'm using significant power when I'm getting two degrees, like I think 60 mm -hmm. power or something like that. Uh, maybe 70 power and, and to get them both in the field at the same time. That would be interesting. You might be able to see lunar craters on our moon and those polar caps on Mars, Shane, if you get a good night oh, at night. Yeah, that would be actually really cool. Yeah. So there's there's your session planned out for you. You're yes. welcome. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> and then Perfect. as well, um, Aldebaran, which is the brightest star up in Taurus, uh, marking the eye of the bull. It, it's just going to be to the south of there, I think by... Uh, by just like four or five degrees or something like that. So it's going it, to, that's going to look kind of neat. So in itself, like Aldebaran is a neat star to see, um, sort of like one of those first stars you learn because it's kind of orangey red. Um, then when the moon pairs up with it like this, it's kind of, kind of looks like something. And then with Mars sitting just right on the moon, uh, two degrees above or, or thereabouts, that's going to look neat, like a bit of an arc in the sky like that. I think, I think that's going to draw a lot of eyes and maybe cameras towards, should be interesting. Yeah, absolutely. Pretty neat event. Yeah. Then we have the spring equinox on March 20th. Always a big day around here. Yeah. Yeah. It, uh, you know, this is the time of the year for sure. Um, where, you know, you finally feel like winter is releasing its grip <laughs> and the spring equinox is, uh, you know, a big, a big turning point as well. Um, you know, we start to get more sun. You, you mm. Saskatchewanians, you never, you never lose hope. Hey. You can't. <laughs> we had one year here, so I'm not originally from here. We had one year here. I'll never forget it. Um, I, I had signed up to do to volunteer and do this uh, short presentation at the Science Center. Um, we, we had a partnership going with them at the time. I think it's still ongoing, but I had offered just, just to do like a free presentation. And when we scheduled it like in January or whatever it was, uh, it was really bitterly cold and snowy. And and I think it was going to be on like the 28th of April. And like, in my mind, I'm thinking maybe the grass will be green. Maybe like it, like leaves won't be on the trees here, but um, you know, it'll be above zero and I'll be going there and like a windbreaker. And I had like this real vision in my mind of, of what this would be like, cause it had been a really long and cold winter, winter starting in like October 1st of that year, maybe end of September. And I'll never forget. I showed up on the 28th cause I had this in my mind and it just seemed like winter was getting worse and worse and worse. And I remember I could hardly even um, <laughs> get out of our road to get down to the science center. I drove there and, uh, and it snowed the whole time I was there. And I remember the, the ground squirrels were coming out and they were running around in the snow like they do typically at that time of year on the grass. And, and there was still like probably the better part of a meter of snow down everywhere. And it was snowing heavily and it was like cold, like minus 13. I'll never, ever forget that. Um, now, within two weeks, most of the snow was gone, but it still wasn't, wasn't that warm. I remember I went out and did a public event, um, and, uh, and it went down to like minus 10 or minus 15 or something. We were doing that in the middle of May. <laughs> so I was like, yeah, winter sometimes is never over. <laughs> <laughs> that is true. Yeah. So on the 21st, we have a first quarter moon. Maybe it'll be better by the 21st. Maybe. I'll, I'll aim for the 21st. So. <laughs> so on the 23rd, Mars is just seven degrees north of Aldebaran. So we talked about the moon 
and Mars and Aldebaran sort of lined up, but on the 23rd, they, they kind of get to, to their closest point. So you'd be able to get them in, uh, in an eight degree uh, field of view, uh, which, which is what many uh, like six or seven power binoculars, some many power binoculars would have an eight degree field of view. So that, that could be kind of neat to see uh, as well. And then you have your super moon on the 28th chain. Yeah. Yeah. So um, get out there and see what you can see. No, uh, it won't be very exciting for me. I don't have any plans to look at it unless I'm just out in under the night sky. anyway. Yeah. Well, we, we don't celebrate super moons around here at actual astronomy and you know, it's, they're, they're unobservable events. So if you, if you, I remember there was one uh, happening one morning and I was, I was at work and uh, people were going on about it. And so they were like, well, you must be really excited. And I, I couldn't be less excited about the super moon. So, so I said, well, do you know how big the moon is compared to, uh, you know, something around the office here? Like, you know, if you were to hold it up at arm's length and people are like, I don't know, like, you know, different, different things around. And so I said, uh, and I had a pencil I was like, would you believe it's the size of the head of this, you know, pencil eraser? And they were like, no way. So then I said, well, come on out. So we all went, we all went out and the vice president came, came rushing up behind us. And I remember he fell on the ice quite badly, um, but, oh, but I held, I held it up at arm's length and they, they, and I passed around, they could not believe that it was only the size of the end of any of the eraser. And I said, well, think about this. Cause I think the difference in size is maybe around like five or 7% or something like that. I said, could you tell a 7% difference uh, mm-hmm. at the size? And people were like, well, I guess you're right. Kind of, but, but people don't like to have that pointed out. It turns out. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, yeah. it's one of those things, but like you said, you know, anything that kind of draws people's uh, attention to the sky or maybe, maybe gets, gets their interest going. And, um, you know, one of the people who attend my class, uh, in astronomy, uh, they, uh, they, they've gone out and taken lots of photos of it. They've done all kinds of interesting things. So I, you know, I'm not, uh, not really being that hard on people. Um, it's just one of those things though, that, that as far as just going out and taking a quick look at with your eye, unless you are, um, doing some sort of particular project, I, I think it is, uh, it is a little bit too much of a challenge. And the reason why, why we'd like to draw attention to it is that, there are things that are really neat to see, like seeing the moon pairing up with Uranus. I think that's really cool. And you can do that with binoculars on March 17th. I think that's a really neat event. Uh, and then seeing Mars and the, and the moon pairing up, seeing the zodiacal light or zodiacal light early in the month, um, different things like that are things that you can actually see and are worthwhile going, going to see. And, you know, I'll hear of people that, that drove way out of the city to see the super moon. Well, you don't, you don't need to do that. But if, if you are thinking of driving out somewhere, uh, drive out earlier in the month when the moon isn't in the sky and then try to find the zodiacal light and know that you're looking at the uh, sort of the early building block uh, dust left over from the solar system. That's pretty cool to see. So, and you can take a photograph of that too. I know uh, some people have done these spectacular photos. So that's kind of neat. And then, yeah, on that 31st, um, you know, sort of as we get, as we get into, into April for those kind of making plans, um, once we get into the early part of April, that that's when you can kind of start making plans to, uh, to head back out into the uh, evening sky. Once the, uh, once the waning uh, moon is, uh, is below the horizon as it's dark, uh, then you can start to see that, that, that zodiacal light again. So. Yeah. Yeah. Great opportunities uh, for some observing. Um, I'm looking forward to our deep sky episode too, that we'll probably do in a couple of weeks. 
Um, yeah. Lots of good galaxies in the spring too. Um, that start to become visible. So uh, looking forward to that. Yeah. Yeah, no, it should be, uh, should be pretty good. So what do we have uh, in the sky? Any, any double stars or anything coming up that you want to uh, raise people's attention to? I'm just looking at uh, Yoshida's uh, um, webpage for the, uh, for the comments. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Um, no, I usually save the double stars now for the, the deep sky episode. So I don't yeah. have any off the top of my, uh, list here, but, um, as for my memory, I don't think there's much for comet activity until the second half of the year. Um, yeah. at least, you know, if the predictions hold true, uh, are you yeah. seeing anything? Well, I'm just looking at the latest update on his webpage, which is mm-hmm. A-E-R-I-T-H dot net slash comet slash weekly slash current dot html um but it, this is i think the best website for looking at and i'm probably not not saying his name correctly but uh, but that that's how i i pronounce things phonetically um there's there's a few comets uh one is uh r4 atlas it looks like it's hanging out around 10th magnitude or so uh, estimated to be 10.7 uh, by mid-month so i mean 10 and a half so um, yeah, uh, that, that's fairly faint. You did good size telescope. I'm seeing lots of 12, 13, 14th magnitude comets. So, uh, yeah, there's, there's nothing, uh, right now that, uh, that looks all, all that bright unless, unless we've missed something. I think we pointed out, uh, the minor planet, uh, Vesta, uh, which, which is, uh, which is visible up there. Yeah. 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 Certainly nothing of significance, uh, from a comet perspective. So, uh, not much we can do about that. Uh, and, no. and it doesn't really look like anything is going to, um, surprise us anytime soon either. Uh, the no. big one to keep on your, on your list is uh, comet C 2021 a1 Leonard, uh, predictions right now, uh, are that in December, it'll be a magnitude four comet. So we could have another naked eye one, uh, wow. by the end of the year. Um, but as we've said many times before, these comets are highly variable and, uh, you know, the, their predictions, while they're not, um, you know, wild guesses, uh, there's so much that can happen with a comet, uh, that can kind of disappoint you. So, um, you know, be aware of Comet Leonard for uh, December, but um, we'll we'll provide more updates, obviously, as we get closer, and hopefully that one is another showpiece uh, comet for us to see. Yeah, as I say in The Simpsons, get your hopes up. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> All right, Shane. Well, I don't have anything uh, else to add. I'm I'm hoping that now that we're into warmer weather here, we'll be able to get out. But other than that, I'm good to go. Yeah, uh, I'll just end with one note. Uh, we will post these show notes at uh, actualastronomy.com. I know sometimes as you're listening while driving or whatever uh, your situation might be, it's hard to keep track of all of the things we're talking about. So if there was something that caught your ear that you want to observe, but you can't remember the details, uh, just go to actualastronomy.com and we'll have it all there. Plus, uh, in the show notes, there are a few images of, uh, like finder charts, essentially to show some of the yep. close pairings of the planets, um, and, uh, some of the, you know, deep sky objects, whether it's stars or clusters. Um, so yeah, uh, a few things to see. Sounds good. Well, thanks so much, Shane. Thanks for everything today. Thanks for, uh, correcting my arc seconds or my arc minutes to arc seconds. <laughs> yeah. I've, I've done that like multiple times you know, oh. where I get 
kind of tripped up in the seconds and minutes and anyway, whatever. <laughs> there's, there's just not enough time to do astronomy. <laughs> yeah, I guess ended on that note. <laughs> All right. Thanks so much. Thanks. Thank you everyone for listening and we hope you enjoyed the show. If you are interested in more information, would like to contact us, or if you would like to support the podcast, check out our website, actualastronomy.com.